Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Hey everyone, it is such a joy to join with you today. Um, for any who I haven't had the privilege to meet, my name is Katia Adams and together with my husband Julian, I lead a church plant in Boston called The Table. Uh, we love your community, we love what God is doing with you guys. And I'm really excited uh, about the message that I feel uh, God put on my heart this morning for you. Um, I believe that it's going to be something that sharpens you and equips you for the season to come. So I'm going to jump straight in. And um, I'm aware we're living in pretty crazy times. And I'm going to ask you to bear with me because the topic that I want to speak about today might feel like a maybe a strange one in this season, uh, but as I share the whole message with you, I believe that it's gonna make sense why I think God is calling his church to this, because I'm gonna be speaking this morning about becoming a people of audacity, uh, being a people who are willing to step out and do uh, courageous, sometimes what looks like crazy things for the sake of the kingdom. And I believe in the days that we're living in where uh, of course the enemy agenda would be to hold us back, would be to limit the scope of what the people of God are believing for. Uh, in these days, I believe God is saying to his people, no, look up. And uh, he's trying to uh, give us this sense of hope and excitement of what the kingdom uh, can accomplish even in uh, the least likely times. And to speak on this this morning, I'm going to be looking at a passage from Matthew. So um, I'm going to be reading today. If you want to join me, um, I'm reading from Matthew 15. I'll start from verse 21. It's an unusual and a challenging passage. Uh, and then we'll dig in. Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. Well, let's dig in and see what's going on. And what I'm going to do in my time with you is I'm gonna dig a little bit into the actions of Jesus and what they are intended to do, what he is trying to teach us. 
Then I'm going to look at the woman's audacity because I believe this Canaanite woman is a model of audacity for generations of Christians to follow. And I'm going to look a little bit too at what the disciples have to teach us in their own responses. So first of all, what's Jesus doing? Well, when you see Jesus' interaction with the Canaanite woman, you might think that Jesus uh, isn't convinced about blessing all people. You might think that um, actually he's a little bit reticent and cautious to be kind to her. You might think that actually he, he does genuinely believe that he's only been sent to bless a few and uh, if you don't make the cut, sorry, well, you're out. But there's a few clues in this passage that if we think that we're actually incorrect and the clues are here that Jesus specifically goes to the territory of Tyre and Sidon. He stays only for his encounter with this woman and then he leaves again. That in itself is a signal to us that far from being reticent or finding her inconvenient or believing that he's exclusively sent to only the Israelites, Jesus in fact went looking for this woman. Jesus in fact intentionally went out of Jewish territory into Canaanite territory. He intentionally did that and he would have no reason to do that if he didn't want to get his hands dirty with dirty Canaanites. He would only be doing that if he actually wanted to serve the Canaanites. So what's going on? Why the game? Why does he set this moment up? Why does he intentionally go looking for her and then seem to pull back when he's found her? Well, I think he's trying to teach his disciples something. I think he's trying to teach the Jewish audience who would read this gospel something. Indeed, I think he's trying to teach his hard-hearted Christian followers something as he plays out a moment that in fact is uh, speaking and echoing exactly the words that would have been in his followers' hearts. And alongside wanting to teach his disciples and wanting to draw them into compassion, I believe he's pulling the gold that he knows is in this woman out of her. He went looking for her. This is uh, Jesus, the son of God, being led by the spirit in a beautiful way. I, uh, he knew what he was going to find. And even in his interaction, I believe he's pushing her and pushing her, not because he's trying to push her away, but because he knows what's in her and he's trying to draw it out of her. And in fact, this woman uh, becomes this incredible standard of faith that Jesus is so delighted in. And this standard of faith is documented for millions of Christians to learn from afterwards. That's profound, this moment of interaction. So let's look at it closely. Jesus intentionally goes into Canaanite territory. Now, we know that Canaanite territory, uh, the Israelites saw the Canaanites as enemies. They saw them as dirty. They saw them as the scum of the earth. You, you weren't to, you know, if you're a self-respecting Jew, you are not to socialize with, socialize with Canaanites. They are dirty and they're going to make you dirty. But Jesus, undeterred, goes intentionally into Canaanite territory. And the context of these verses, let me just give you one more thing about that, is that just if you look up to the verses before, 
Jesus has just been teaching all about what makes someone dirty. He was just teaching the Jews about what, what it is that makes us clean and dirty. And then the very next encounter he has is with a woman who they would have classified as dirty. This is not coincidence. Jesus in his life is teaching us what his words speak to us. And so Jesus finds this Canaanite woman and she comes to him and she's crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon possessed. She's literally living a living hell. And Jesus does something that's so unusual that would seem so out of character. He says nothing at all. There's silence in his response. He's just ignoring her. You know, sometimes the silence of God doesn't mean what we think it means. And sometimes you and I will be praying and we'll be asking in this season, I'm sure many of us have been praying and asking in moments of challenge and difficulty. And sometimes we feel like we're met with silence and the enemy would tell us in that moment, see the silence proves he doesn't care about you. See the silence means that he's ignoring you. See the silence means you're not worthy or he's too busy or he's not interested. All of that is a lie because the silence of God doesn't mean what the enemy tells us it means. Right now we'll see that the silence of Jesus was intended not to hurt her but to bless her, was intended not to confirm the hard-heartedness of his disciples but to provoke it in order to bring it to wholeness instead. Jesus is silent and often when Jesus is silent, those who follow him fill the silence. And I believe that's one of the intentions of God in silence. Because when all is silence, he gives room for his disciples to fill the gap. And he does that because we fill the gap with the overflow of our hearts. So what's inside of us comes out of us. Sometimes that might be wonderful, but when it's not, it's out of us, which means it can be healed and restored into what God originally intended to be in us in the first place. And we see that working out exactly here. Jesus is silent, so his disciples step in. Surely the master is silent, so let's help him in this moment. And his disciples came and they beg him. Oh, they're really moved by emotion here. They're begging him, saying, send her away, for she is crying out after us. Now, in the Greek, the send her away component of this sentence doesn't necessarily mean send her away without giving her what she wants. It can mean that. But it can also mean send her away satisfied. In either way, the disciples' motivation here isn't heal her and heal her daughter, give her what she wants because gosh, she's so broken. Gosh, she's living something that would be a nightmare. Gosh, we're moved by compassion. Gosh, Jesus, please, we know you have the power to do what she's asking. Please do it. See her hurt see how much she needs you. That's not their motivation. Their motivation is explicit in the verse. Send her away for she's crying out 
after us, send her away, whether you heal her daughter or not, whichever way it is, either send her away satisfied or not, but do it because she's inconvenient to us. Do it because she's following us and is constantly shouting and that's really not okay right now. Do it because we've got this dirty Canaanite woman who's after us and that's not good. See, their motivation for possibly a miracle in that moment isn't compassion, isn't taking on the hurt and the brokenness of this poor woman, but is actually something much more hard-hearted than that. And you know, it's so easy for us, wonderful Christians as we are, to read the failings of the disciples and shake our heads patronizingly as if we would never do anything like that. And then I wonder if when we're praying for people or when we're ministering to people, whether our primary motivation is always compassion and in a being moved by their hurt and their brokenness, or whether it is, oh, I really need another cool story for a testimony, or I'm really curious about how the power of God could work, or I really want a ministry, this would be an amazing way to break in, or wouldn't this be awesome to share with my social media following? I bet I would get so many new followers if it got, word got round that I see incredible miracles happen. I wonder if our motivation for the miraculous is what Jesus' motivation for the miraculous was. Because when we read the Gospels, Jesus' motivation for the miraculous was consistently compassion. You read again and again and again, he was moved by compassion and so he healed. He was moved by compassion so he was unwilling to send the crowd away hungry. He was moved by compassion. And as the people of God, I believe sometimes God is silent because he's drawing from his people what he hopes will be compassion to fill the gap. But even if our hard-heartedness comes out, he's going to draw it out from us in order so he can provoke us into health and wholeness so that he can restore hearts of compassion to us. So the disciples fill the gap with their own callous estimation of her. And Jesus pushes back a little bit, ups the ante here. Verse 24, he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It seems like he's closing the door on her. It seems like he's saying, sorry, you're not on the guest list of this party. Seems like he's saying there's some who are out and in and you are definitely out. It seems like he's incredibly exclusive. This wonderful savior only come for some. You know, the thing is, what he was saying would be exactly what the disciples would believe. It would be exactly, actually, what she would have encountered before. She would know exactly that the Jews were exclusive. She would know exactly that the Jews were constantly saying to her and her people, you are out and we are in. The disciples, as Jesus would say, said this, would no doubt be thinking, yeah, he's absolutely right. Jesus, you tell her. That's right. You just confirm to her what she needs to know. She obviously needs a bit of an education. He's drawing again the genuine beliefs of their hearts, both hers and theirs. <laughs> 
But this is the beautiful thing about her. She doesn't let the moment deter her, but in fact, she draws closer in proximity. She came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. It's such a simple prayer. This is no long-winded um, paragraph of why God should do what she needs. Just a simple cry for help. And he answered, and this is where it gets really hard. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now we need to understand that this woman would have been called a dog loads of times before in her life because Canaanites, and in fact, anyone who was a Gentile was often referred to as a dog by the Jews. It was a, a common a word to use for anyone who was not the people of God, for anyone who wasn't part of this exclusive club, for anyone who was seen to be unclean. And so when Jesus says to her, it's not right to take the children's bread, the children being the Israelites, and throw the food to the dogs, uh, he's saying no nothing that she won't have heard before. He's just saying exactly what the Jews would have said to her. Again, his disciples would be nodding. They'd be thinking, okay, this is a little bit unusual, but we're, we're going with this. This isn't normal behavior for Jesus, but it is normal behavior for our culture. And so thumbs up, Jesus, keep going. You're doing great. See, I don't believe for a second that Jesus believed what he said, because if not, he wouldn't be in this territory. If not, he wouldn't have gone looking for this woman. He wouldn't have gone looking for this encounter. Tyre and Sidon weren't close to where he was or indeed where he then goes. So Jesus went on a long trip to find this woman. There's no way on earth he would have done that if he genuinely believed her to be an undeserving dog who he didn't want to bless. So why say the sentence? Well, you can almost see in the moment uh, that he's saying it with a question. Isn't it so? Disciples, isn't it so? Lady, isn't it so? Isn't it true that the bread doesn't belong to you? Isn't it true, disciples, that this is a dog who the bread does not belong to? He, he is again provoking their responses because he's trying to teach them all something. He's trying to teach us all something with his unusual response. But look at what the woman does. Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. <laughs> then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. Her daughter is instantly healed. She takes what is offensive. She takes what is uh, designed uh, to keep her out. She spins it around. She uses it at the, as the very foundation for her next uh, prayer, for her next query, for her next request. Absolutely right. You want to call me a dog? I'll take that. I'm undeterred in this moment. I'm going to turn it around and I'm going to use it yet again as uh, the foundation for my request because even dogs get crumbs. And you know what's 
amazing about this moment is this is the only sparring partner of Jesus in the Gospels that has the final word. In every other uh, moment where Jesus is going back and forth with someone asking him questions or requesting from him, uh, Jesus wins, if you like. Jesus has the final word, but not here. In this moment, this woman's radical faith that will not be put up off even by things that would be most offensive her radical faith wins the moment Jesus is delighted for her to conclude the conversation and he says you get everything you want your faith is so remarkable your daughter is healed Jesus in this moment is provoking provoking everything people think about him, provoking everything people think about what uh, is right and what's wrong, who owns God and who doesn't. He's provoking everything people think about the nature of God himself. And of course, he doesn't limit that provocation to this conversation. Every circumstance of our lives, all of the things that happen to us, All of those uh, are intended to draw out from us our beliefs about who God is. And if we listen to the invitation of Jesus, we'll step into who he is because even in the moments where it seems like he's silent or in the moments where it feels like he's closing a door or in the moments where it feels like he's uh, offending us with our with his response none of those moments are intended to keep us out All of those moments are to draw us in because what he's trying to build in his people is a resilience in the belief that he is good and that no matter where we press, his goodness will come through. And he's trying to build in his people the muscle to push past offensive circumstances and to push past what seems like silence, the muscle to say, God, even in this moment, though it might feel this, I know that you you are good, so I will come closer. I will not allow my circumstance to hold me back from entering your presence because I know you are good and I will be undeterred. He's inviting his people to be an audacious people in what we believe about his character, what we believe about his nature. I've said it already, what we believe about him will be the most important thing about us. See, the disciples exhibit their hardness of heart and Jesus is trying to teach them. But the woman is a model of audacity. Firstly, her her audacity is built on what Jesus is and who Jesus is. It's got nothing to do with what she thinks she brings to the table. And this is incredibly important because when I speak on audacity, sometimes as Christians, we can get a little bit puffed up and we can start becoming entitled. I'm one of the children of God. He owes me because I'm one of his kids. And so we start attacking God as if he owes us to do good to us rather than entering in audaciously based on who he is. We're entering in arrogantly based on who we think we are. And there's a real difference there. This woman doesn't come with you owe me because of X, Y, or Z, or here's the list of my accomplishments, therefore I've earned enough. No, she comes to him and she simply says, have mercy on me, son of David. She recognizes who he is and his nature. 
and that's what her audacity is built on. Let us be a people who stand, who build our audacious willingness to do insane things in the kingdom, not on a false understanding of being powerful people in the kingdom. Incidentally, I do believe we are powerful when we are the children of God, but sometimes we can use that message uh, to build entitlement in us. Rather, let's do crazy wild adventures in God with complete audacity based on who he is, based on our understanding of his kindness, his goodness, his mercy. And her audacity is undeterred. It's undeterred by his silence. It's undeterred by moments of offense. Uh, She's consistently saying, you're silent, that's okay, I know you're good. Oh wait, you seem to be exclusive. That's okay, I know you're good. Oh wait, you just called me a dog the same way all of your people have called me my whole life. That's okay, I know that you are good. So rather than allow these circumstances that might otherwise deter others, I'm gonna say, I know who you are, I will not be put off, I know you are good and I'm pressing in further. I believe that's what God is calling us as his people to do, to be a people who are so undeterred that we will keep pressing in closer and closer to him regardless of what's going on around us because we refuse to be offendable. Our faith becomes unoffendable. And not only is her faith undeterred, unoffendable with what seems to be going on from Jesus, but her faith is undeterred by the hardness of heart of those around her. See, God is inviting us as his people to be undeterred where others don't understand, when others react with callous hard-heartedness, when others say things like, no, it can't be done, no, you're a bit too big for your boots to even think that you're someone created with destiny. No, no, no. So many Christians will respond with no because too many of us are operating with the wisdom of the world so we cannot possibly understand how the crazy upside down kingdom of God is going to operate. But God is inviting us as his people to be undeterred by the lack of faith of others and to step into all that God has for us as crazy as it might seem. And you know, The crux of this story is that though the woman is a model of audacious faith and sees what she wants come to pass, the ultimate audacious one is not the woman, but is Jesus. God, who has the audacity to, the audacity, literally the willingness to take bold risks. He has the audacity to do the unthinkable and take on human flesh and come and lay his life down for people who are undeserving like you and me. God who is willing to break apart all of the boxes of traditions and how things ought to be done. God who is not willing to uh, follow the rules of humanity. God who is audacious consistently in doing what he knows needs to be done, not what he knows we think ought to be done. He is the ultimate audacious one. And he invites you and me today to kind of settle in our hearts. What is the nature of the God we serve? Is he good or is he not? 
If you believe that there's a mean streak in him, if you believe that there's some kind of trap door that you might never see and then one day, boom, it hits you. If you genuinely believe that about God, you will always be frightened to enter into all that God invites you into because you're never quite sure what is the character of God that you will encounter in any given moment. But he's inviting us to rest on his goodness, to come and encounter a God of love who is consistently loving through and through. He's inviting us to know a God of mercy and kindness that is breathtaking. He's inviting us to be a people who are compassionate and not hard-hearted, who are not moved uh, to see miracles because we want to see something cool or we want another testimony or we're curious about what God can do or we want to get more followers and likes, but we're moved to see miracles because we're compassionate towards the brokenness of those around us. And he's inviting us to enter into an audacious faith where we push past things that are designed to hold us back, where we push past things that are designed to bring out what we really believe from our hearts, where we push past things that seem to be contrary to the nature that we know is in him because we're so confident of who he is that we're willing to follow him wherever that might lead. Let me just pray for us for a moment. Holy Spirit, I ask you right now that you would come and rest on the men and women who've heard this message today. God, that you would sink deep into our hearts truths that will fortify us and anything that I've said that's unhelpful, I pray God, let it fall to the wayside, but I, I pray that seeds that will bear life, that you will plant them firmly deep in our hearts and that we would bear much fruit, that we would be a people confident of the nature of our God, that we would be a people moved by compassion and that we would be a people of audacious faith that delights you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.